when you talked about renovation. So that model, the BRR, the buy, renovate, rehab, and rent. Take me through that process. So I'm pretty type A and like very analytical. Right. I want to measure twice and cut once. Usually measure three or four times. Welcome back to another episode of Cashflow, where we help turn properties into profits. I'm here with Daniel Pfefferman. Daniel, thanks for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So before we dive right in to talking about how we make money out of properties, I I always want to hear a little bit about a background about you, the family man. So talk to me a little bit about, and we talked off camera, talk to me a little bit about your family. You got little ones? Yep. Two little ones, five-year-old daughter who's in kindergarten and a three-year-old son in preschool. It's, yeah, we're, we're living it. I, I love yeah. it. I love it. How do you think that the families kind of change your perspective on the way business works, the way your, your business works? Yeah, I mean, I think it completely reprogrammed my mindset between having kids and then COVID and having kids during COVID, I right. guess. Um, it changed my whole outlook and what my goals are, I guess, long-term and how I approach work and kind of just everything overall. I love it. I love it. And you're three and a five-year-old, right? Yeah. So as I said to you before, I think these are like the greatest ages. They're alive. They're little people that can talk to you. They can articulate. I have to go to the bathroom. Give me yeah. human food. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. My daughter, I mean, she's five going on 25. <laughs> it's, it's wild. And like, I've got my like... Taylor Swift bracelet on because now my household is a full of, is is a bunch of Swifties. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. So yeah, so she's she's a insane, amazing little girl, and then my son is all energy, all boy, race cars and and bikes and yeah, he's he goes nonstop. I love it, and and that's the kind of energy and that baseline foundation that helps people like you and I go to work. And do better. So, and let's talk about that. Yeah. Your, so you have your own brokerage, Define San Diego. Is that correct? Yeah, Define Real Estate. Define Real Estate. So, yeah. So, I founded that. Uh, we're coming up, or I guess just past two years. So, I got my broker's license, and it's been awesome. It's a great little boutique brokerage, I guess you could refer to it as. Um, doing everything from commercial to residential. Nice. And, yeah, it's, it's exactly kind of what I've worked towards and what I would hope for. So you didn't start out by just popping open your own brokerage, right? So take me, take me back, give me a little bit of the origin story about before we get into your first property, how you got licensed and how you made it to getting defined real estate. Yeah. So gosh, I guess it goes back all the way to when I was in college at San Diego state. Um, I started, yep. Yeah. I was, uh, I was studying real estate finance and it was kind of my intention to go into real estate. My uncle had a very large property management firm. Um, I had a lot of other relationships in the commercial real estate world. And so I knew that it was always something that was of interest to me. Um, fast forward kind of owned properties, over the years. And after being a pilot for the better part of a decade and deciding, okay, I want to, I want to be home. I want to be with my wife and kids, um, decided to focus on real estate full time. So that kind of January one, I'm a little OCD. So like set a deadline and January one was real estate only. Um, and so, yeah, I hung my license at a brokerage and, and partnered with uh, someone that mentored me, kind of on the commercial and residential side, which right. was what I was looking for. Um, and just 
continued to grow and set new goals for myself. And and yeah, that's kind of what brought me to where I am now. Let, let's talk about that. You mentioned a couple of times mentors. Yeah. Okay. So you, I heard you say your uncle, all yeah. right, had uh, he, a little bit of influence there. And then you work for a broker who also mentored you on how to put the, together a transaction. Let's talk a little bit about that. How has that shaped your, not only just your real estate career, but your investment philosophy? Yeah. I, I mean, I think the way I've grown up, I prefer to learn from someone else's mistakes. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> sure, I'll make my own along the way, but if I can help springboard myself to get ahead quicker, then why not? Right. Um, so yeah, my uncle has owned a tremendous amount of real estate. Got it. Rental properties, uh, multifamily. And so he's content, he was and has continued to be kind of a sounding board for me nice. and bounce ideas off of. Uh, my dad, who has an accounting firm here in San Diego, um, he's very analytical. And right. so I like getting his insight. And obviously, from a tax perspective, it's always great to know, especially from investment real estate. And then, um, yeah, in 2017, when I started, I partnered with a guy named Mark Lipschitz, who had a commercial background. And then in 2011, kind of made this shift and created this hybrid approach with doing commercial and residential. Right. Um, and so he had a ton of experience and... I kind of dove in head first. When Mark, especially because he's well-known here in the San Diego area, when he talked to you about how to formulate a transaction or how to formulate a deal, what are the one or two takeaways that you got out of that experience or his advice to you that has helped you later on? I, I mean, I, th I think there's a lot. Right, right, but right, right. kind of the, the biggest, maybe the biggest takeaways are, don't get emotional. <laughs> um, you know, there's each investor or homeowner or owner user that's renting or buying a place for their business has certain goals in mind. So remembering what those goals are and just when you're underwriting a purchase, making sure that you're staying true, you know, to what, to what your goals are. Right. Um, with that in mind, let's talk about your investment background specifically let's take it from that first property uh talk us through the first one what it was like how you went and got financing and how you leveraged that into your later properties yeah so i was very fortunate to have parents that supported me um and helped me purchase my first house um, and when the intention was back when I was in college right. to go into, um, you know, property management and with that being my goal, they basically said, look, we're going to help you buy your first house. Right. We're going to provide the down payment and that's it from there. You need to figure out how you're going to pay the mortgage, how you're going to pay the landscaper, your insurance, everything. So basically I had roommates obviously that would pay my mortgage they'd pay my expenses and 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 it allowed me to own this house and really not come out of pocket and that was the first time that i realized like real estate's powerful right right um and then i just continued to either depending on the property pull equity out to use to purchase the next house or sell and parlay into the next deal. Well, let's talk about the first one because I think this is the big uh, obstacle that a lot of first-time investors or people who hear, hey, real estate's where you're going to build wealth, but they have trouble getting over that bridge. Mm -hmm. So 
financing was B of P, B of F, bank of parents, bank of family, which again is definitely a way to do it. So they help qualify and give you a down payment. Correct. And then they said, okay, Daniel, the rest is up to you. Yeah. All right. And then the next part is, so you lived at the property. Yeah. And then you recruited. I had two other roommates. Okay. It was a a small three bedroom, two bath house at San Diego State. Right. That was, you know, an old grandma had lived in it. And are these friends or did you go on Craigslist or how did you, um, one was a friend from high school, right. Um, that ended up going to San Diego state as well. Sure. And then another was lived in my dorms with me. Right. Um, and so I, we had purchased the house in November of 2003. Got it. I guess it Great was. Great time. Great and, time uh, in the market. Yeah. And knowing that, okay, there was some renovation work that needed to be done. So okay. we put our sweat equity in nice. and got the house kind of dialed and then, yeah, moved out of the dorms and straight into that house and for and, that for that spring semester. Yeah. Let me, and let me ask you that when you talked about renovation. So that model, the BRR, the buy, rena- renovate, rehab, yeah. and rent. In this case, was it something that you had to pencil out the numbers, like, oh, I'm gonna need X for this remodel yeah. for paint, or it was one of those like, hey, we're just gonna go in there and clean it up and do what we need to do. How did take me through that process? So I think like we had talked about previously, like I'm pretty type A and like very analytical. Right. So I want to measure twice and cut once. Okay. Usually measure three or four times. So Makes sense. I was very much like, we went through the house. I was able to visualize, okay, here's what we have to do. Right. Um, here's what can wait. Kind of here's the non-negotiable type stuff. Interviewed contractors on the bigger stuff. Nice. And, and created a checklist and you know, an Excel spreadsheet that broke everything down and cost. And so I knew, I knew what I was getting myself into. Obviously things came up, you know, you can't see inside the walls. Um, So there were some unexpected things that had to be done on the property, but overall, yeah, we kind of knew going into it. And then as time went on, you know, remodeled this room or changed that room and, and it slowly continued to grow from there. Got it. So, once you have the property, you have it rented out to friends. Look, you guys got to live somewhere. You're going to pay rent to someone. It might as well be rent to, now you're the landlord as well. Um, how long did you live there before you went to the next phase, whether that's you moving out or whatever? Tell me about that. So I graduated in 07. Right. I sold the house, put it on the market my spring semester, just before I graduated. Right. And the other house across the street that I had also bought while in college. Right. And, you know, I didn't know I had a job opportunity that was going to take me across the country at the time. Um, Didn't really know what was going to happen. So I ended up selling both properties. So I lived in, I lived there for three years. Right. And, um, and then ended up selling it. Got it. And were you cash flowing when, you know, you, you were living there and they were, were they just covering the mortgage? Like, talk to me through that. So I, I was trying to remember on the drive over kind right, of right, what, because right. I, I had a feeling you were going to ask. And we had done a, you know, th- the financing at the time right. was unique, I guess. Um, but we had done a seven-year arm. Got it. And so my interest rates were rather low. Mm-hmm. Um, it allowed me to, basically, I wasn't making money, sure. I don't think, but I was definitely living for free. Got it. Um, you know, there was maybe a, sl- a small amount that was being put aside for reserves. Right. Um, but y- yeah, I mean, it allowed me for three years to 
pay the mortgage, pay my insurance, pay my utilities. Got it. And, you know, probably cover some of my food. Got it. And just one last question on this. I hear a lot of people talk about their first investment, this similar situation, whether it be military or college, they buy a property, they have, they rent out the rooms, people live with them. Was that difficult? Especially those being your friends, was it difficult to be the landlord? Now you're the one they got to go to for repairs or was it something that was relatively manageable? It was difficult at times. (laughs) I mean, I think having roommates can be difficult in general. Sure. Um, It depends on where you are in your life cycle, you know, whether or not you want to have roommates um, by choice. I have roommates now, but they're not going anywhere. So right. um, yeah, I think it could be difficult at times, but again, if, if there's a bigger picture at play, right. then you can justify it and you know, feel a little more okay with it. Makes sense. Um, so you were able to sell, and then I'm assuming sometime within the short, af- short time afterwards, the market crashed. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we sold and Gosh, four months later, right. it was all all heck broke loose. Um, and so I had the intention of buying the next property, right? Um, and just kind of put that on hold. Um, I invested the money into something else, and so it was there working for me, kind of in the background. And and at the same time, I had started flying. Right. So your pilot. So yeah. So I was focused. I was focused on that. I mean, I was gone 40 weeks out of the year. Oh, nice. Um, so I kind of just I- ignored it. I actually, after college, moved back into my parents' house and was <laughs> going to be there for six months. And six months turned into four years. Right. And one day coming home from the airport, my my dad called and he's like, hey, there's a house that just came on the market down the street. Go look at this place. Got it. And it was his gentle way of saying, you need to yeah, it's time to kick go. rocks, buddy. Um, and so, yeah, so I didn't buy anything until I guess it was late 2010. In your defense, though, you were stockpiling money while flying 40 weeks out of the yeah. year, which uh, talk to me about how being a pilot translated as you got back into the, into the real estate investing market later on. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'd say probably the, the income I was generating from it was great. And then knowing that, okay, although I'm gone a lot. I'm also home a lot, right? You know, I I come home and I'm home for four or five days at a time, right. or you know, whatever the case is. So from from the managing of a property, from that standpoint, it was manageable. Um, you know, emergencies happen, things happen, right. and you need to have a good rolodex of <laughs> trades to help, um, as you know, you know firsthand. And so, yeah, it, it just kind of went hand in hand, and and then ultimately allowed me to continue to buy more property. So you're telling me that because you had enough experience at that point, had a good enough Rolodex, you could, while flying for 40 weeks of the year, still manage those, self-manage those first one or two investments that you bought. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, my whole, my whole business now and what I think I learned back then was it's all about your relationships. Right. And having trusted individuals. Um, if I didn't have my, you know, go-to handyman and my go-to plumber, it would have been terrible. Got it. Yeah. So let's talk about, you got back into the market. Uh, Talk to me about how your philosophy has evolved now in this last market cycle. The market obviously was 
just moving along fine and then it shot up crazy yeah. talk through a couple of those deals and then i want to talk about that the best deal i've seen you do this latest one which is just amazing yeah and thank you um so i guess part of what i learned um with doing the commercial and residential side is how I underwrite a property. How my, I learned from how my clients underwrite properties. Um, I took what I did and didn't like about right. what they were doing and said, okay, how does this, how does this um, kind of translate for me and my wife, who she also has an extensive real estate career. So we're always bouncing ideas off of one another. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have purchased a commercial property, right. we purchased some residential properties, um, and then most recently is we bought a, a small apartment complex. And let's let's talk about that for a second. So let's talk first, how many units and what, how did you find the property? So, you know, it's eight units, and I, I live on the MLS and on CoStar, which is the commercial MLS. Right. Um, and this property popped up, and I, of course, was going to call on it. It just so happened that I had a mutual connection with the listing agent. Um, and so we chatted about the property, kind of understood what was going on. There was a lot of hair on that deal. Um, <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah, there is significant foundation issues. So when we say value add, this is above value yeah, add. Exactly right. Exactly. So, you know, the, the property needed just $250,000 alone in foundation work. Right. And that doesn't include all the other, you know, issues that result from repairing the foundation. Sure. And the other, the other like, while you're in there, sort of <laughs> fixes that you end up doing. Right, right. Um, and, and yeah, so we, we ended up buying the property well below market. Mm -hmm. uh, we were able to negotiate some great financing because that has been the biggest issue. Um, over the last year now, I guess, especially on the commercial side, where or you know, residential more than five units is considered commercial. Correct. Um, so this is eight units, so it brings you into a different financing category right. and purchasing as an LLC versus an in individual right. has an impact. So we negotiated insane, you know, financing, and we were able to make it all pencil. To the, to the way that my wife, my dad, and I all feel comfortable. For those uh, definitely pencil in the detail type numbers. And let's talk about that. I think maybe a lot of investors in the property world have read the Robert Kiyosaki, The Rich Dad, The Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. But a lot of his book is centered in a different market time. Yeah. where seller financing is, I mean, he bought tons of properties through se seller financing, but we hadn't seen that as much lately. And then here you are, getting a fantastic commercial property through seller financing. Talk me through that conversation, how you made that a reality, and how it's benefited you now that you've owned the property for a little bit. So I would say it was pretty obvious from the start, you know, in my initial conversation with the listing agent. He gave me an explanation of the property, kind of mm -hmm. went into detail about the um the specifics on some of the work that needed to be done. And from my experience, I knew how that would impact the ability to get financing. So my initial question, like immediately when he started telling me was, okay, would the sellers consider financing? Yeah, well, they carry back. Nice. Yeah, exactly Great. right. And initially, he they were a little 
unsure of what they wanted to do, but I think after being on the market for a period of time, realized right. that this is their best option. Right. Um, so we were able to come to an agreement on a deal that has me locked in for 10 years. Nice. And hopefully in that time, I'm able to, you know, rates come down and I'm able to refinance for a longer period and, or we may sell it and move on to the next deal. Got it. And when you structure seller financing, you talked about, hey, you're locked in for 10 years. Do you feel uh, confident in sharing maybe some components of the deal? Just being general, like, um, is there an ability to refinance earlier than waiting for the 10 years? And is there a penalty for selling before that time? Talk a little bit about that. So my goal as a buyer representing myself is to look out for my best interest. Right, absolutely. So things that I think were important are, you know, and things that are typically factored in on any commercial transaction are like prepayment penalties. Sure. So there are prepayment penalties, but they're much shorter than I think are typical. Um, The, because that prepayment penalty I think is is done in two or three years, Mm -hmm. I can go ahead and do whatever I want to do with the loan sure. and not be penalized for it. That's nice. um, also, part of how I structured it was having the ability to pay down the loan. Great. To recast the note and reduce my my payment and you know what I'm paying interest on. Um, so that was another factor. And so I think it was really, you just get creative. Right. And at the end of the day, it doesn't hurt to ask. Of course. And... Take me through your goals on a property like this. Eight units. Um, is this something that, um, with all that needed to be invested, is it something that will pencil out cash flow right away? And is it something that you're looking to hold um, for forever, hold until you can upleg it? Talk to us a little bit about your strategy there. So for us, my focus, I don't, like we had talked about, I don't underwrite something from like an NOI net operating income standpoint. And it's tough in California to do that anyway. Yeah, especially with financing the way it is, even though that's not part of your NOI. But yeah, it's hard to justify it. Um, I look more at my cash on cash return. So the money I have invested, what's my return on that money? Um, Market rents have skyrocketed on rentals. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't use what's current like top of the market when I'm underwriting a property, I try to be more conservative. Right. Um, so for us, this, even while being conservative, was at a cash on cash return that fit where we wanted to be when you factor in vacancies and things like that. It may be something we keep long-term. Right. Um, I think it all just really depends on what the market's doing. My goal, I love selling real estate. I love representing clients buying and selling real estate. Is it something I want to do when I'm old? No. You know, I'll probably pick and choose the deals that I want to do, but I want to have the ability to make that decision. So generating passive income is how you do that. Well, let's talk about that. Let's transition into the ideal investment. Is it area specific? Is it um, type of product specific? What is it that your strategy is built around that, you have a goal in being successful. I would say that our strategy has has changed a little bit, I guess, given the landscape of the market. Right. Um, and given what California has done from a 
owner standpoint, landlord, housing provider standpoint. Absolutely. I don't have a lot of protections in California as a as a property owner, landlord, you know, housing provider. So um, I've now kind of considered, okay, maybe we explore some triple net industrial deals. Maybe we try and diversify a little bit and diversify while still in the real estate, you know, space. Um, But I, I mean, yeah, I think it, I think it really depends on the residential side. I like being able to get in the car and drive to go touch the property. Um, I don't think buying something out of state for me fits, but it fits for other investors. Right. Um, and it fits for other people who may just want to buy one other property or not trying to amass a huge portfolio. Um, but long term, I have goals of like fixed numbers of net, right. net passive income that I'm looking to hit. And those are my goals now. They're probably going to go up. You know, because it's never, I always want to try and get more and it's mm. part of the game. Um, but yeah, just trying to slowly whittle away at those goals. Uh, what does your appetite look like now that the market has, over the last, let's say, 12 to 18 months, has significantly changed? Uh, I'm not saying good or bad, but it's, that has probably changed your appetite for the type of investment you're going. What are you looking at here right now? And how, what's your way forward, I guess? Yeah, I, I think interest rates obviously have a big impact. Right. What are we? We're but, at seven and a half, yeah, seven point seven on it, on residential. We're not even talking commercial. Yeah, exactly. Right. I called I called a uh, a lender last week on a on a property for a client, and that was a multifamily, larger commercial deal. I mean, the rates were like eight and a half percent with thirty five to forty percent down. How, how do you make money? How can you be successful investing if today's rates are eight and a half on a commercial property and you still have to put tons of money down? How, how do you do it? How, how's that going to make be make any sense here in California? And I think that's the biggest question. I mean, that's the literally the the conversation that I have with brokers on a regular basis, trying to get their feedback and what they're seeing from it's, their clients. It's crazy. It's difficult, but stuff is still selling. So I think it really depends on what they're looking for, what a buyer's goals are. You know, long-term, they may be in exchange and they don't particularly care what the rates are like. It has no impact on them. Um, Or they're willing to, because the rents are below market, they're willing to buy it the way it is right. and add value long-term. Uh, kind of like you did, did in the last one. Anyway, Daniel, I really appreciate you being here. I want to get your kind of opinion or your advice. Look, we have a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs, wanting to get into the real estate investing space. And then you've got people who've been doing it for a little bit who are kind of looking for that next approach now that the market's changed. You've got 20 years experience. Give me one or two top tips or advice that you would give to these people? I think there's a lot that kind of comes to mind, but more than anything else, understand what your priorities are. Right. Figure out, you know, what, how that relates to the property and then stick to those, you know, fundamentals. Um, if you're looking for something that is a short-term investment that you're going to add value and flip, or if it's something that's a long-term investment, understand kind of what the rent potential is, what your cost of ownership is. And if you've never invested before and you want to invest in something, understand what you can actually afford. So if you want to buy an investment property, but maybe you don't have the money, but you're also looking to buy a house, buy a duplex, 
you know, buy something that has maybe three units where you can get primary residence, residential financing, and have a couple other tenants that are on your property that you can rent to and offset your mortgage or maybe pay your mortgage. Um, And then I know rates are high right now, but they're not going to be high forever. Um, If you find a property that's an amazing deal, jump on it. Um, you know, you can refinance later. As long as you can afford the mortgage and you're not going to make a bad decision um, or be stuck on eating ramen and hot dogs, you know, for <laughs> breakfast, right. lunch, and dinner, then it's definitely something to consider. I love that takeaway. For the young entrepreneur, you know, explore what's out there. Don't be afraid to take a deal. And if you can stomach the mortgage, go with it. Get that first property. Yeah. And for the more savvy investor, Focus on your goals. Don't abandon your fundamentals, okay? And use that and your strategy in purchasing whatever investment you're going after. Yeah, and if you're not sure or you think something might be good, ask a professional. Like, that's... That's what I'm here for. God forbid, God forbid people don't ask professionals. Like they do it all alone. I, I, we don't say that enough. Like you don't have to go about it alone. That's what professionals are out here for. Yeah. So great point. I really appreciate you being here, sharing your experience from the very beginning, you know, being the uh, roommate landlord to now uh, you know, underwriting deals and getting a beautiful seller financed uh, Apex, which is what a fabulous deal. I got to, I, I got to, it. I got to see it. So, Amazing. Thank thanks you. for being here. And for everybody else, thanks for tuning into Cashflow, where we're turning properties into profits. We'll see you next week.